You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 54. Today's reading is from Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. At that time, Jesus entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a slave who was dear to him, who was sick and at the point of death. When he heard of Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with him. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and turned and said to the multitude that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. A couple of episodes back, uh, in episode 52, Father, you mentioned briefly the Roman centurion that was the first to recognize Jesus as the Messiah at his crucifixion. And in today's reading, we read about another centurion whose faith is so great that he knew Jesus could heal his slave even from afar. So both men are Gentiles, and in this case specifically, Jesus says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. What should we take away from these examples of Gentile believers in the Gospels, Father? Good question, and a nice intro uh, to that question. So just to give a very brief recap about what you mentioned from episode 52, I highlighted how it was the Roman centurion, the Roman soldier, who was at the cross of Christ guarding it, who was the first to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. And as you referenced, I pointed out how the centurion recognized Jesus as such, as the Son of God, at his crucifixion, which is to say that he recognized Jesus as the Son of God even before Jesus rose from the dead. And the significance of that is we should recognize Jesus as the Son of God because he was crucified. It's not as though uh, that crucifixion was just some sort of a tragic accident. The crucifixion is revealing God and what it means to be a servant of God, namely that we would follow God's will of reconciling the outcasts even at the expense of being humiliated to the point of death. Right, and thanks for the recap. And so I sort of alluded to this earlier, this passage and its mentioning of the centurion made me think about what you said in in episode 52. And here again, we see a centurion, a Roman soldier, recognizing Jesus. And so again, I'm wondering what we should take away from these Gentile believers. Yes, so let me try to address that. First of all, I would say that ultimately the message we should take away is one of the centurion being an example of faith. And I want to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But before that, Jason, uh, something we should take away from this story is the fact that the one who has faith in this story, who shows faith in the first place, is a Gentile. And that itself is of significance and great importance in this story. And why is that? 
Well, if you go back and even just skim the chapters before today's passage, you can see what I'm talking about. If you look at chapters 5 and 6, uh, note that today's reading, as you mentioned, is, is from the beginning of chapter 7. So in chapters 5 and 6, there's this long, drawn-out series of stories where Jesus is doing what Jesus did. He's healing the outcasts, like the leper and the paralytic. And remember, these people were literally outcasts. They would have been forbidden as unclean and not allowed to participate in the full religious life of the Jews of Jesus' time. Jesus is hanging out in those chapters with this great sinner, Matthew, the tax collector. He's being questioned as to why his disciples aren't doing things the way a good, upstanding, pious, religious person is supposed to do them. And very precisely, you will notice the criticism in chapters 5 and 6 comes from the scribes and the Pharisees, those who were considered to be the most pious, those who knew the words of Scripture better than anyone. It is these same scribes and Pharisees who are questioning Jesus, even saying after he heals that he should have waited until after the Sabbath so as not to, in their minds, violate the law of the Sabbath rest. And so it's in this background that you then move to chapter 7. Thanks for the background, Father. And with that in mind, then, why is it significant that the centurion was a Gentile? It's significant because it follows the clear theme throughout the Bible, certainly throughout the New Testament, that it was the sinners and the outsiders who were the ones to recognize God's Messiah. It was the sinners and the outsiders who simply submitted to the teaching and the way of life of Jesus Christ. It was not the ones who were deemed by themselves and by others to be righteous. And so this story of the centurion is yet another example of how blinded we become by self-righteousness. It's another example that if we consider ourselves to be something, if we consider ourselves to be pious, if we consider ourselves to be better than others, then we're at a very, very unlikely to be missing out on God and to be missing out on doing his will. Yet in this story, even a man who was powerful, like the centurion, was humble. He was willing to submit. He had a slave, something normal at those times. But you hear at the beginning of the gospel reading how this slave was dear to him. And you see how he wanted him to be healed. He was essentially treating someone who societally was below him as though he was his equal. And that's how we see God. That's how we do God's will. Good. So, so getting back to something that you said earlier that you wanted to touch on, you said that the centurion was an example of faith. Can you explain that a little bit more for us? Yeah, certainly. We've talked about this several times in this podcast. I'm sure we'll uh, talk about it again because it's extremely important. And we're really, we're fighting against the status quo. We're fighting against the way that we tend to think. But it's important for us to remember that true faith, biblical faith, is not intellectual. It's not about what we believe per se. It's not what we say that we think. It's not what we have just in our head. No, biblical faith is trust, putting our trust in God and in his commands, meaning that our faith is what we show by our actions, how we actually live our lives. Do we indeed live our lives as though we're trusting in God? That's what faith is. And so, as I said, the early chapters in Luke, before today's reading, the Pharisees say that they trust in God, but they do not behave as though they trust in God. In reality, they trust in themselves and in their own righteousness, to such a degree that they think Jesus surely could have waited a day to heal someone. But this centurion, on the other hand, shows his faith. He trusts that Jesus can heal the servant, even from afar. 
He shows not just by his words or what he's thinking in his mind, but by how he behaves and interacts with others. I appreciate the explanation, Father, and it, it really leads well into the final question I wanted to ask today. You mentioned how the centurion trusts Jesus, even from afar. So I'm wondering, is there any significance in the fact that this miracle took place without Jesus being physically present with the person who was healed? Yeah, I believe so. And, and this gets back to a very broad theme in Scripture, actually. As a side note, uh, I just want to point out to our listeners how often we do this. There are really a few overarching fundamental themes throughout Scripture, and virtually every passage in the entire Bible ties back to at least one of them in some way, and so it seems like we do often go on these side notes. And this story is one of them, Jason, as you mentioned, with respect to Jesus healing from afar, and even from the centurion stating that Jesus did not even need to come to his house but to just say the word. And the theme that I'm referring to here has its roots in the opening chapter of Genesis and runs throughout that book and throughout the Bible. And specifically, this ties into the notion that the biblical God is not seen. He does not have a statue. He does not have a form. He does not have an idol. Human beings, as we've talked about, are his idols, his image, meaning that our job is to make him present. And we make him present how? By heeding his word, by listening to his command. Again, to summarize this, God is not seen, God is heard, and God is obeyed. And if we have faith in God, then we trust him and we trust in his word, and we obey even though we can't always see. And that's what is happening here with the centurion. He's listening to God through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. He knows that God's word is sufficient. He doesn't have to see God. He doesn't have to see Jesus physically present or in his home. He knows that God is present through his word. And then just to tie that together for those of us who are Orthodox and how we see this reflected in the actions and in the rites of our liturgy, the whole liturgy, both in its spiritual structure and the physical structure, uh, revolves around Scripture, around the Word of God. And spiritually, I say, because at the center of the service is the reading of Scripture, the very center point of the divine liturgy. And then physically, because the Holy Gospel book is kept at the center of the Holy Table, around which revolves essentially the entire service, the entire liturgy. And at the entrance, we process with the Holy Gospel book, and then we bow down before it, saying, Come, let us worship and fall down before Christ. We're not bowing down to Christ's physical presence at our divine liturgy. We're bowing down to his word, to his teaching. And then, of course, shortly after we do that, after we make that entrance, we're called to listen, to hear his word, to hear his teaching, so that like the centurion, we may trust in it and may live that teaching out in our lives. Thank you, Father. We started our conversation today by focusing on the theme that sinners and outsiders are the ones who recognize God's Messiah rather than those who consider themselves to be righteous. From our reading today, we see another example of this theme with the Roman centurion and his faith in Jesus to heal his slave. This faith, which Father Aaron reminded us is best to think of as the trust we place in God, is manifested in our actions and not our intellect. We often see the Pharisees say they trust in God, but they do not behave as such. In contrast to this centurion, a Gentile, demonstrated his complete trust in the Lord with these words, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you. 
but say the word, and let my servant be healed. This healing of the slave from afar also demonstrates another common theme of Scripture, that God is not seen, but God is heard, and he is obeyed. He does not have a statue or an idol, for human beings are his idol, his image. Our job is to heed his word, because through his word, God is present. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.